Are we recording? We're on? Good. All right. Wait for the last couple of exits to happen. Okay, we are in a uh, series called The Gathering Storm. We're in the second section of that. I'm about to finish that today, and then we'll start the third section. This section is on the book related to the living not by lies that we've been reading. Uh, The next section that we'll be looking at is the books that we're reading for this year, The Coddling of America and iGen. So if you haven't read those, get get to reading, right? So um, in this section, I address the five lies that that we and our children are facing. And also we considered the cost of living by the truth, which is usually some kind of suffering or persecution. Uh, We considered how to resist assimilation. And last time when I spoke, I talked about teaching the children the fear of the Lord, which requires us to fear the Lord, because much of this faith that we hold is caught as much as it's taught. You can teach people to say the words, but they can't really catch it if they don't see you living it as well. Today we're going to uh, look at a couple of passages. The first one is Proverbs 22, verse 6. It's a passage you're probably familiar with. You've heard it quoted. And um, uh, we're we're going to talk about it. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I want to talk about training children in the way that he or she should go. And this passage then is our starting place. Now the general sense of this proverb, and you know proverbs are not always true in every circumstance, but they're generally true as a statement of wisdom. Uh, And this one basically says that a child set on a specific path uh, will stay on that path in old age. Not a guarantee, and it's not a certainty. We all know children who grew up in terrible homes with no guidance and came out of that into the pathway of the Lord, and others who were trained in the pathway of the Lord and somehow turned astray in that context. But if you're following wisdom, you will drive your car between the white lines of the lane and not just go back and forth about them as you wish, because you're more likely not to get in an accident if you're staying on the path that that you're set in. So, a child then dedicated to a pathway, into a direction, and this is what the Hebrew idea is, that they're dedicated and trained in this path or this way, uh, means that they're going to tend, if they're trained in that, to remain in thought, word, and deed in that pathway. Uh, The ones that aren't trained in that will usually find their own, and then they will stay in that one, or they will succumb to peer pressure and follow the way uh, that leads to destruction. So as Judeo-Christian parents, we have to dedicate ourselves and our children to be on that path with the intent that when they are older, they will continue that uh, in a way that isn't directly you guiding it, but they will guide it. Uh, I think of it as training wheels. If you think about training wheels, I don't know if you guys rode bikes on training wheels, maybe you had other things, but we had training wheels. And the training wheels held you upright, and so you could balance. And over time, they would lift the, the, uh, the training wheels a little bit, 
and then you could wobble and you'd be all right. And then they lifted them up pretty, and pretty soon you didn't need them at all. That's what parenting is. You start with those wheels on the ground so that they're controlled. That's father and mother uh, keeping them in line. And you then train them and teach them to ride and to balance, letting go a little bit at a time so that when they become confirmed, when they become an adult, they ride on in the path that you set them, but it's now their path. That's really what confirmation is. The, the faith of my parents is now my faith. The God of my parents is now my God. The way that my parents follow him is the way that I will follow him. And so that's the idea. Now, can they wander off the path? They can, but if they do it then... They do it at their accountability, not yours as a parent. So that's, that's an important thing to do. So what path are we talking about? Well, there are two understandings of this particular text. One is that this is the pathway or the derrick of the Lord. The Orthodox Jews talk about somebody leaving the community and leaving the way of the Lord as being off the derrick, off the path. Uh, and so that's, that's probably the idea here. Uh, that it's the way of life that the Lord has given. The scripture says that you will walk in my ways, you will walk in my statutes, you will walk in my commandments. You will not turn to the right or to the left. You will walk in them and in them you will find life. Jesus talks about the broad way that leads to destruction and the narrow way that leads to life. And of course he claims himself as being the way that lordship that we follow. All of that is built into this verse that when we are training our children, when our children ask, why do you do these things? We tell them that the Lord has instructed us. Fathers bringing up their children in the admonition and nurture of the Lord are putting them on this path, this path of righteousness and holiness that we are trying to keep from straying or as the writer said in our earlier reading today, presumptuous sins. That presuming that I can go any way I want and the Lord will bless me or keep me. He won't bless you and keep you if you're in rebellion, right? If I regard sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So the path is the righteousness and the holiness that the Lord has put in the covenants and in the commandments. Now, in recent times, and actually in older times as well, some have seen in this verse a different path. They see the way that he should go as being the path that's tied to his personality and his uh, gifting, or her personality and her gifting. In other words, we don't raise kids in a one-size-fits-all. You've got to understand that particular kid. Okay, uh, I've talked about this for years in... In, uh, uh, in the marriage and family class that uh, my kids were very different. And uh, if I was somewhat disappointed, that was enough for Bruce. Uh, I think I could have probably grabbed a stick and, and, and knocked Cheryl around and she'd have gone, that's all you got, right? Because the personalities were different, right? On the other hand, if we isolated Bruce, he was happy. If Cheryl was isolated because she likes people, likes that's not good for her. So you've got to know your kid's personality and their gifting, and you certainly have to address that. So there are people that interpret this verse in that way. This always reminds me of the slogan we have at Cal Baptist, live your purpose. If, 
If I were making the slogan, and of course the slogan wouldn't bring anybody in, I would have said, live his purpose. With a capital H, right? His purpose. In other words, you were created for a purpose, and you are called to him according to his purpose. His purpose, not your purpose, right? But live your purpose could also mean... uh, what you think you want to be, and now it's God's job to bless that. I'm not convinced that's the way it should be. So, I believe that the path in this text is the derrick of the Lord, the way of the Lord. And I think it's to be consistent with the commandments to teach our children in the ways of the Lord. All of that is tied into the meaning of this verse. Taking into account their personality, taking into account their giftedness, because as they grow to maturity, they don't grow to maturity as an individual. They grow to maturity in community, and their spiritual gifts will then operate in. It's why I love that the children walk up to open the ark, and they're, they're wanting to do I know it gets noisy, but listen, there is something that they are experiencing and watching that's going to pay dividends down the road. And we've already had testimonies from some that have grown up through that and talk about that in their own life. So, uh, now, here's the big difference. There's a difference in raising children in in a faith-friendly environment versus a faith-hostile one. I grew up in a non-Christian home at a time when America was very faith-friendly. And therefore, even though my family was telling me nothing about the Lord, I was picking that up because it was in the school system, and it was in the neighborhoods, and it was in the neighbors, and it was in my friends. So I was getting some of the instruction and admonition of the Lord without even knowing it. Later, as I became a believer, a lot of that stuff, I said, oh, that was there. But you know what? Your children are not growing up in a faith-friendly environment. They're growing up in a more faith-ignorant context and a faith-hostile context. So, we're going to look at the changing environment as we have been in this culture. uh, And we're going to address two things. I'm going to talk about two aspects of that today. The first one is what I call isolation and immunity immunization. Um, I believe that we need to keep kids away from things that they're not ready for or that they should be avoiding as much as we can in their early stages. I think that's really important. Uh, If you give a kid access to stuff that they can't really process, that will become a problem. On the other hand, and you see this in the Christian community, there are some parents that want their kids safe and protected at all costs, and they basically wrap them up in plastic bubble wrap and put them in the closet, and they are isolated from everything. That's not good. There is a time when you need to begin to immunize them against what they're going to be, so that what happens is not that they hear it and don't know what to do with it, but they are prepared for being exposed to things that are not according to the way, the path that we're supposed to be on. So, uh, when it comes time that they're 
that the exposure to this thing is going to be inevitable and or imminent. It's important that you as parents talk to your kids about these things. Why? Because if you wait and don't talk to them, others will talk to them. And they will not talk to them from a biblical perspective. They will talk to them from a worldly perspective. And you need to be, a care- you need to be careful of it. We want to make sure that they are uh, following this so that they stay on the path. Right? So isolation is accomplished by controlling what they experience and what they're exposed to. And keeping them from certain ideas, events, or certain people uh, uh, so that they are not really influenced by those things. But immunization is accomplished by giving them access to those things that they're going to be exposed to through a biblical lens, so that they will view them in a manner that is both discerning and wise. Now, you can't give them what you don't have, right? And so part of the parenting process is a lot like the teaching process. Sometimes there is a new issue coming up in a subject that I have to teach, and I have to get up to speed on that, right? So part of our parenting is not just using the force and doing that, but figuring out what they're going to be exposed to and making sure we're aware of that kind of thing. Now, I thought about talking about two or three specific examples I've done that earlier in the series. I decided not to do that because I'm willing to talk about those in the Q&A today. And since we have Q&A coming up on Wednesday, we can also talk about them in that context. One of the problems is the uh, public recording of these things can get taken out of context and then used in a, in a way that, that's not healthy. And we're, we're no longer in a culture where what we say is listened to for the best of what we might mean, but the worst of what we might mean. So I think I'm going to do that that way. Now, this second part that we need to talk about is related to uh, maintaining an understanding of what life is like uh, for your children. And for that one, I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And again, a passage that we're familiar with because we talk about the life cycle and those kinds of things um, in, in our congregation. But many people don't. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 8, we have these words. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. And let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desire of your eyes, and yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So remove grief and anger from your heart, and put away pain and hurt from your body, because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Also, remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you say, I have no delight in them. Now, this passage covers a lot of ground. It's really important to understand that the Bible basically is telling us 
that there are more problem days than easy days. That's somewhat hard for Americans to believe. Uh, historically, that's not true because all generations have had struggles, and the current generation is beginning to feel the struggles there. We have a tendency to look back, you know, my generation looks back at the 50s and 60s as if they were just, just wonderful. In fact, the Kennedy years were called the Camelot years. He was shot. It wasn't, it wasn't the Camelot years. I mean, we have a tendency to look back, just remember the good, and brag about it, and not look at that. That's really uh, not healthy. That's not accurate. We need to understand that life is hard, and it gets harder. And there are dark days, and there are days that are pleasant, and the Bible says we're to rejoice in all of them. Now, the only way you're going to do that is if you see the understanding of the struggles of life as having some purpose. That purpose being the, the stewardship of God and the strengthening of faith and maturity. Now, related to that, uh, the scripture here says everything that's coming is vanity. Right? So, what the Bible's telling us is we have to have a kingdom mindset. We have to have a mindset that is beyond this life in the life to come. Seeing this life as a stewardship towards the eternal things, that eternal perspective that we talk about that. Uh, and what, what they're told in their youth and their childhood, so this is the first 30 years of life, so from 30 years beyond, life gets more complicated and more difficult. Uh, and the issue is this. When you are doing this, you are supposed to, when you're younger, follow the desires of your heart and the, the things of your eyes that you see. In other words, we are supposed to explore this life. But there's a warning. Know that you shall be judged by God for what you do in that. In other words... God's allowing us to experiment with all the things of this life, but we are supposed to do it by and stay on the path. We're not supposed to allow that experimentation to lead us into sin and into evil in that kind of sense. Now, we're also told to avoid certain things. These are things we should isolate ourselves from. One of those is over-grieving Overgrieving and what the world calls depression uh, really destroys any framework. And the antidote for depression is not always a pill. In many, many, many cases, the antidote for depression is hope. Having hope gives you a reason to get up and do things. When you have no hope, then there is a, a loss and a sadness and then grief upon grief whelms up and over, overwhelms you. The other one is anger. It's interesting. The Hebrew word here means both of these. Uh, it's the extremes of anger and the extremes of grief that overwhelm us and we're not able to function. We're not able to think. We're not able to walk the path that we're supposed to walk because we're overwhelmed emotionally. That's why the Bible tells us, be angry and sin not. 
could just as well say, be sorrowful and sin not. Do not let these emotions begin to control your life because you're supposed to be staying on the path. Then he talks about harm and pain in the body. Again, that word has both uh, connotations to it. And this is the idea that chronic pain and chronic hurt is one of the things that discourages and takes away hope. So we're both in our spirit, in our inner person, to avoid the emotions taking over. And in the outer person, we're to not make the sensory evils take over as well. Because uh, life is fleeting. And what it's telling us is, you're going to have plenty of time for those things towards the end. Because the days get darker. So finally, what he says to us is that we're supposed to uh, remember our Creator in these youth days. Now, I'm grateful to God, I really am, that I became a believer in the days of my youth. And while I didn't have the discipling, and that came later after my rebellion, uh, I still was able to get it before I hit 30 because I don't know, I, I watch people after they're 30 trying to, to, to transform their life. It's very, very difficult. So I actually had, in a sense, uh, a benefit there that I'm, that I'm grateful to God for. But learning to fear the Lord in your youth. Taking on this faith that this is not only the faith of my parents or the faith of my congregation, but it is my faith is critical in these formative years because as you walk through the stewardship of life, you need to be able to walk with a mature faith. Not a, I got my salvation faith, but a mature faith in that sense. We are trying to prepare them for the difficulties of life, particularly with this gathering storm that we are noticing that's going on. What's critical then in that is that we communicate with our kids. I think it's great that if your kids ask you a question, you're ready to give them an answer. But I think you need to point the way. As they're coming towards something, you need to talk to them about it and let them hear the biblical perspective. This is what God expects of us, not of people, don't turn them into a judgmental person who thinks that this, now I know what's right and wrong and I can, you know, tell everybody else what's right and wrong. It's, it's setting the compass for ourselves to walk in his ways as a light to other people, not as a judge of other people. And knowing that they may see it different. They may see a number of these things differently, but we are living by truth and that truth is in the word of God not in the culture that we are living in. When you do that, and you are clear about it, and you are correct about it, your children will not only trust God, they will trust you more. And even if their friends and their teachers and others are telling them other things, they will go to you for the answers because they want to know the truth. Because they've been trained in truth and not in what's happening, right? What's happening is always transitory and usually is part of that broad road. So, if you respond to their questions with emotion and confusion, they'll seek someone else to trust. 
so it's important that you know what they're about to address and, and give them a heads up in a way that they say, my parents know what's going on. They may be a little old-fashioned in their outfits. They may be old-fashioned in the music they listen to. But they know how to do life, right? Yeah, I see the pointing. <laughs> Just wanted to make it relevant, right? So, they're going to be faced with the lies and they need to be prepared with the truth. And I've talked about that before, but I want to remind you by talking about those five lies uh, again now. First, secularism. They are living in the most secular America and West Western culture that's ever existed. The number of people who are simply don't believe in God and see no point of religion is rapidly growing. And in their generation, it is extremely high. My generation, even though there were people who were unchurched, as I was, we knew what churches were. And we might even show up once in a while. But there's a generation that has never darkened the door of a church and know nothing about God, nothing about the Bible. And saying the Bible says doesn't have any meaning to them because there's no foundation for why we believe in a revealed faith. Your children need to have that because the people they're interacting with often won't. So that no God zone is a problem because in Him we live and move and have our being. I really was happy with... uh, Katie talking, about, and others today, talking about just regular life stuff. And I kept, a verse kept echoing in my, in my head. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Believing that there's a part of your life that God isn't interested in and doesn't have something to do with is the curse of secularism coming in. And many Christians have a compartmental life. Uh, where they have a secular life and they have a religious life. We don't have that. In Him we live and move and have our being. Secondly, we are in a crisis about race. And I think it may be worse than the crisis of race that happened when I was a teenager. Because we knew what racism was, and we knew what the problems were in racism. But we now have a new thing about what race is, and how it's going to work out, and who's, who's doing it. And we've got this anti-racism, which is really racism reversed. So it's still the same old thing. It's not solving anything. It's just changing what uniforms and what goalposts are there. And so it's going to have the same bad dynamics. We need to get away from using that concept as a real concept. The concept that the Bible uses are the nations and Israel that came out of Babel and they have different ways of life, most of them not knowing God, so God gave Israel to be a light to the nations. They have to think that way because tied to racism is anti-Semitism and that's the one that hides behind it and then comes through. Third, they are fully immersed in a world that separates gender and sexuality from marriage and parenting. And for us, those all go together. And they are going to have friends who see it differently and families that are very different. They need to know what our path is. Not dragging other people into that path, 
Because if they don't know God, they won't understand that path. It won't make any sense to them. But if it doesn't make any sense to us, we failed our kids. So that one's an important one. And then, we live in a time when everybody thinks life is about security, success, and significance. And it's really about stewardship. It's really about walking the path of God, using our gifts to, to love God, and to love our neighbor, and to love one another as he has loved us. So that we walk in the ways of the Lord in holiness and in righteousness and in unity. And then it's very important that they understand that suffering is normative. One of the things you'll read in the iGen is that this generation is having less car accidents, less alcoholism, and uh, less... um, Uh, risk-taking. We've always associated young people with risk-taking. This group isn't because they have been put in that bubble wrap and they think that the purpose of life is staying safe. They're even afraid of words that might bother them. So we have got to raise a different breed of child. One who stands on the word of God, and faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. They are doers of the word. They know the path that they're on, and they will hear the master's voice, and another they will not follow. But part of that involves suffering. They've got to be tough-skinned enough to know that if people mock them, it doesn't mean anything. If people even shun them, It doesn't mean anything. That when those things happen, they are blessed of the Lord, for so persecuted they the prophets that were before us. In other words, they have to see that part of being a believer is not safety in all things, but a pathway that involves sorrows and sufferings. But those sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. So you need to be informed as to what they're being exposed to outside of the home. And you need to prepare them for the lies when they are presented to them. Those lies are out there. And you can isolate your kids for a while. We can homeschool and we can do all the other stuff. We can do that and I think there's a place for some isolation. But ultimately, we have to immunize them. Uh, And they need to understand a lie when they see it. And they need to know that we walk a different path. And we must set them on that path well, so that when they're old, they will not fall away and step aside. Uh, I was also uh, thrilled by, we've we've got some young people chomping at the bit. They don't want to get baptized because they want to get wet. They want to get baptized because they've watched adults live this faith and they're ready and on the edge of wanting to be an adult. They want to grow up in the faith and walk the path of the Lord. They won't walk it exactly the way we taught them because they will have to adjust in ways that we never had to adjust. But they will walk as adults in that path and not as coddled children, which many of their peers are going to be. And so I think that we need to be aware of that. That's why these next two books are really about the generation 
that is coming up at the present time. So let's go, Lord, in prayer, and then we'll open up Q&A.